Well, good morning. If we've not had the chance to meet, I'm Pastor Nathan Brand, and I have the privilege to be the senior pastor here today. This is why we're here, the hope of the resurrection. He is risen. He's risen indeed. We're so glad you're here for this special, important Sunday where we celebrate God's extravagant grace that He poured out by sending His only Son to die for us on the cross to pay sin's penalty, but also to celebrate His resurrection from the dead. And because He has risen from the dead, there is hope. I belong to a local gym in the area, and I bumped into a gym in the locker room who I know. He knows I'm a pastor. He says, so, you know, Easter's coming up. Is it hard to come up with something new to say about the resurrection? I mean, it happens every year. It's like, well, what do you say differently? I said, you know what? I don't need to come up with something new or novel. I just need to remind my listeners that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is hope in this broken and sick world, beautiful as it is. And that's the first thing I want to tell you this morning, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is hope for everyone, especially for those who believe. And let me just break down a few things along the way about what this means. You see, there's hope when this life is done. That death does not have the last say. You know, in Jesus' lifetime, he experienced the loss of a dear one. He got a message that a friend named Lazarus was sick and dying. Come! And Jesus showed up too late. At least according to human standards. But when he shows up, his weeping sister Mary says, Lord, if only you'd been here, then he would have been saved. And then he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And that wasn't just pure rhetoric. Because moments later, he goes in front of the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man walked out of that tomb. And in truth, all that was was a prequel. A prequel to what Jesus is going to do about a week and a half later. As he himself would rise from the dead and say, I am the master. Death has no hold over me, and I am the resurrection and the light. I am the object of your faith. Because Jesus has risen, we have hope. Number two, there's hope in Jesus Resurrection, because when tragedy strikes in this broken but beautiful world, there is still hope beyond the circumstances. And that ultimately, God is going to set things right. I don't know about you, but I look around at our broken world. The war in Ukraine. What happened tragically a few weeks ago in Nashville. Personally, some of us have been afflicted with cancer. Or experienced a miscarriage down in Mississippi. Tornadoes. And sometimes we ask, why? 
What is God doing this? Does this make any sense? And perhaps in the moment it does not. But in the big picture, because of Jesus Christ's resurrection, He's going to make all things new. Thank you to Evie and uh, Michaela for singing My Redeemer Lives. Wasn't that beautiful? But you know what makes it more beautiful is the truth behind it. You know where those words come from? They actually come from the Old Testament. A man named Job. A patriarch. A righteous man. For whom everything goes wrong. Tragedy strikes. He loses his wealth. He loses his family. He loses his health. And this is what he says, though, in the midst of his suffering. God reveals this to him. I don't know how. But he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, not another. And how my heart yearns within me. This is a man who knows he will see his Redeemer. And he will make everything right. Because this world is broken. This is not all there is. But in the end, the resurrected Christ will come. And he will wipe away every tear. He will make everything right. Everything that is tragic will be addressed. And he will make it right. There's hope in the resurrection. For our broken and decaying bodies, they'll not only be made whole, but they'll be made like his glorious body. You know, some of us are coming in here in various states of health. Some of us are fit as a fiddle. Some of us are ailing. But we're all aging. And one day, these bodies are going to give out. It's an inconvenient truth, but it is the truth. But because of the hope of the resurrection, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Folks, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, And His resurrection, the best is yet to come. This is just a dress rehearsal, folks. He has something so much better for us as He transforms our bodies. Our citizenship is not ultimately here on this earth. It is in heaven for those who will put their faith in Christ and will be transformed, will be like Him. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. And last of all, Last of all, the hope of the resurrection is this. It's not a myth or a fairy tale or wishful thinking. No. It is based in fact. You know, the Christian faith is really rather rational. 
It's really very self-aware. This is what the Apostle Paul says about this, as we're talking about the hope of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Look, if this didn't happen, if the dead aren't raised, you're not only not going to rise from the dead, your sins aren't even forgiven. Later on in that same chapter, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are the most to be pitied. We're fools. This is a fool's errand. But, but, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. How does he know? Because there are eyewitnesses. There were people there who actually saw him die and then saw the resurrected Christ. And this is also part of this proclamation in 1 Corinthians 15. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters all at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. James, his own earthly brother, actually. And then to all the apostles. And at, the la- at last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And if you know Paul's story, he started out as an enemy of Christ then became his ambassador. There's a historical case for the resurrection. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. And that's why we're at, we're giving you this gift to, to dive into that. This book is called, Is Easter Unbelievable? And not to contradict my brother Neil here, it's not Peter Pan. It's based in history. A people who saw the risen Christ and they gave their lives for it, never denying it. And I want to encourage you, if you're wondering about the historicity of the resurrection, I want to encourage you to read it. It's 60 pages, four short chapters, and it's a good place to start doing some deep digging. But there is a historical basis because of these eyewitnesses. And this is important because, you know what, folks? I hate to say it, bad news. One out of one of us is going to die one day. It's coming. It's happening. But our contention is that the hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just in the by and by, but right now. And today I want to focus on a couple eyewitnesses. Because every person that encounters the risen Christ, he comes and does a work and he changes them. He's at work in them and he's at work in you today. So the first witness we want to look at today is one who is... You see, the resurrection of Jesus brings hope to the broken. And we already met her in the scripture readings. It's a woman named Mary 
Magdalene. Now, she's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, which is very... If you know Mary's backstory, if you know where she's coming from, you'll see how Jesus changes her. You see, there's not much said, but it says this in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, that Mary had seven demons cast out of her. Now, okay, I'm not looking to cast out demons today. That's not my purpose, okay? I just want to let you know that. But the scripture, and, and we affirm that there is a very real spiritual enemy. He's called Satan, the devil. He's got a group of fallen angels called demons. And he does try and bring down those who have been made in the image of God. He wants to harm them. He wants to mar the image of God in them. He's trying to do his worst to make life miserable. And one of the ways he does that is he actually convinces or influences one image bearer to hurt or abuse another image bearer. And that's an entry point for that victim to either start injuring themselves or injuring others. The TV drama The Chosen, as they introduce Mary Magdalene. I think they do a very intelligent job in, in introducing her backstory of one who's experienced trauma. As a little girl, she loses her father, whom she has all of her trust and all of her hope in, and he dies when she's a little girl. So she feels afraid and vulnerable. And then later on, as a young girl, she's attacked and sexually abused, at least they imply it, by a Roman guard. And she is traumatized. And the enemy uses that as an entry point into her life for this abuse, for this torment. You know why I think this is believable? Because I've been down to Haiti. We've ministered to orphans down there. And there are some particular orphans who have been rescued from being dedicated to voodoo basically to Satan worship. And those kids, they have been abused, they have been traumatized, and when they get rescued, they are broken. And Jesus can meet them, but it takes a while to bring healing to their souls. And that's where Mary is met. She's a broken woman by the hurtfulness of this world and Satan having his way in her. But when Christ comes... He kicks the devil out. And she starts living. She is set free. She starts following Jesus. In fact, God uses her to support Jesus' ministry financially, amazingly. She's getting her life back. This broken woman is restored. I'm aware. Then it happens. Jesus, her rescuing rabbi, is killed. He's crucified. And it's like she is re-traumatized all over again. She starts feeling like her life is falling apart. She is broken. 
And you know what's interesting? God gives her tremendous courage after Jesus is crucified to come to his burial site. All his male disciples are hiding. And she shows up to say, "What I'm going to do what I can to honor my slain rabbi. But to add insult to injury, his body's missing now. Did someone come to desecrate his body? And even when John and Simon Peter show up to try and check out the situation, it is not remedied. There's no recourse. And she is just reduced to weeping. Brokenness again. She is blinded by her grief. Maybe today some of you feel like Mary. Maybe you feel like you are broken. Life has just dealt you a bunch of bad cards. You've been abused. You've been kicked around. And you're wondering if you'll ever see any goodness. But this is where this resurrected Savior enters in. And he flips the switch. He flips the script. Verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, standing there. And she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I don't know about you, but my heart goes out to Mary at this moment. She is so blinded by her grief. She can't even see that it's Jesus that's standing right in front of her. I don't know, maybe she's looking at his feet, his chest, but she cannot look up. She is so broken. But then she hears these magic words. Verse 17. Then Jesus said, verse 8 to 16, he said, Mary. And it's like a lightning bolt that shoots through her. She is resurrected all over again in this moment where she knows that her resurrected Lord is right there in front of her. And she responds, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my teacher. And I love the scriptures because then things get awkward. It's real. She's holding on to Jesus for dear life. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not ascended to my Father. And he's basically saying, Mary, I know. I know you think you lost me. And you want to hold on to me and not let go. You don't want everyone to lose me again. But I've got you. I've got you. And I've got a mission to go to my Father. And I've got a mission for you, Mary. I'm not done using you. I want to turn you from a weeper to my witness. He says, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples 
with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he, what he had said, <clears throat> that he had said these things to her. Here's the thing. From a first century standpoint, if this were a conspiracy, this would be a horrible plan. Because you have to understand, legally, a woman's testimony in court was not worth anything. You don't want to put that in the record. You don't want to make the first witness a woman. But that doesn't matter. Because first of all, our God deals in the truth. And second of all, He uses the weak things of this world to shame the wise. And so she is sent as the messenger to the disciples who are hiding, who are cowering, to infuse in them hope and life. Because the risen Christ has sent his messenger, his witness, in the broken Mary, who is now used powerfully by the living God. That's how our God operates. And again, maybe you feel like this Mary. Maybe you feel like life is chewed you up and spit you out. And you were so broken, the thought of being just putting faith in Christ, let alone to be used by Him, is, seems far away. But this is what our God does by the power of His resurrection. And He takes those broken places and He makes them beautiful. And those things that were weeping, He brings joy. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about what Jesus will do. And will provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The joy, the oil of joy instead of mourning. And the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. If you're broken today, this is what Jesus, the risen Lord, wants to do in you. He wants to take your brokenness and repurpose it, redeem it, and use it for His glory, His plans, and for your joy. That's what He wants to do in you. And I know it seems beyond you, and it is, but it's not beyond Him. Because he is risen from the dead. And nothing is impossible for our risen Lord. Because of the resurrection, there is hope for the broken. And also because of Jesus' resurrection, there is hope for those who have failed. There is hope for those who I talked to you about his disciples, right? Who are cowering. Well, one of them was his lead disciple, a man named Simon, who later Jesus would name Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. And the backstory on Peter is this. He's, he's kind of the lead dog. He's the one from whom all the other apostles kind of take their cues. He's in Jesus' inner circle. And the thing about Peter, though, Simon Peter, is he's got a penchant to talk before we think. Sometimes things are a little awkward for Peter. 
kind of gets himself in trouble. But here's the thing. He is bold. He is bold in his faith for Jesus Christ. And he's the one who makes that, pro- that proclamation when he says, who do you think people, who do you think that I am? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. He's the one who says, yeah, you're the man, Jesus. I know it. And even on a moment where they're out on the, on the lake and they're in the middle of a squall, a storm, and the other, other disciples are cowering in the boat, Jesus comes walking on the water out to them, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then bid me come, and I'll come. He says, I'll come. Go ahead. Get out. And he does. And he's walking for a while until he sees the wind and the waves. And he starts singing, but he does say, Lord, save me. At least he knows where to put his faith. But that's the boldness of Peter. That's who he is. He's got no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. But can you think about the shock that he feels when Jesus confides in him and the rest of the disciples? Yes, I am. And this Messiah, me, we're going up to Jerusalem where I'll be arrested, I'll be abused, and I'll be crucified. And Jesus and Peter goes, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You're the king. And later on, Jesus will tell this rock. Peter, you're going to deny me. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter goes, no. There is no way, Jesus. That is not happening. Mm-mm. But probably a matter of maybe six hours later, surprisingly to Simon Peter, it does happen. Push comes to shove. He sees what's happening to Jesus. And when a servant girl comes and says, surely you're one of his followers, says, no, not, not me. Mm-mm. And another, I saw you with him. No, I, I, don't, I don't know the man. Third time, no, I, I can tell by your accent. You're Galilean. You're one of his. I swear, I am not. I do not know the man. And he's woken up rudely by the cocking of a rooster. What have I done? And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. I did what I thought I would never do. Deny, betray my precious Lord who I had all my faith and all my hope in. And even after Jesus is risen from the dead. And he appears to him and the other 11 apostles in the flesh. They touch him. Peter is still convinced that he is disqualified. That Jesus has no use for him. He's done with them. So he decides to return to what he knows, which is fishing. I'm going to go back, get on the water. Maybe at least I can clear my head. I don't know. And so a few other disciples get in the boat with them and they're fishing all night. And they catch zilch. I'm a failure at even that. I can't even return to the life I had before I knew Jesus. And yet when they're rowing in in the morning, there's this guy on the beach. Hey! 
Did you catch anything? No. Throw the net on the right side of the boat. There are fish there. And they do. And that net is filled. 153 to be exact. Fish that fill that net. And someone says, it's the Lord. And Peter is suddenly excited and terrified all at once. He makes his way to the beach. This is the moment of truth. This is the moment he's been hoping for and dreading all at once. He has to face his master with his fill. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what he's feeling? Can you imagine what it would be like to face Jesus after seeing all of his miracles, all the things he did, and then said, you're right, Jesus, I, I denied you. And maybe you do know what it's like to be a Peter. Because maybe for a season you followed Jesus. You believed in him. You were telling people about him. But somewhere on the line failed. Maybe you denied him. Maybe you fell into some sort of besetting sin. Maybe you were discouraged. Go your way and you're just, I can't do this. And you'd like to return to him, but you're wondering whether we'd have anything to do with you. So this passage is for you today. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he was referring to the fish that were there. Sure. Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Like a surgeon that's going to the heart of the matter, he asks the question, do you love me more than these? Basically he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than the life that you had before you followed me? And I just filled your net. Do you love that more than me? You see, Sometimes when things get hard following Jesus, it's real easy for us to return to our old life, our old ways. And that's the temptation. But Jesus says, no. Do you love me more than these? Because I have a call in your life. I have a call in your life, Simon Peter, so come and feed my lambs. You know what? If you've been following Jesus, He has a call on your life too. Are you going to turn to that old way of life? Or are you going to turn around and follow Him? Let's continue on because there's more here. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. So Jesus cuts a little deeper now. Because Peter denying Jesus was a big deal. I mean, he swore by heaven, I do not know the man. But Jesus is in the 
the business of restoring you. You need to turn back to me with purpose. So take care of my sheep. See, it's not just words. It's action. It's intention. It is even surrender. Lord, I blew it. But with all I have, I'm turning back toward you. And then, one more time, a third time, verse 17. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Three denials. Three Peters. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus is fully restoring Peter for his failure. I'm addressing all three of your failures. Simon, do you love me? But also to extend to him the grace. and said, your failure is not beyond my sacrifice, Peter. It's not beyond the price I paid for you. It's not beyond my forgiveness. And I want to restore you. And historically, we know that God used Simon Peter mightily, especially when the church was born. He, again, was the lead dog. He was the one who everyone was looking to for kids. However, here's the truth. Do you know that Simon Peter actually fails again? He fails again. When the gospel is spread and it goes to that... What happens is that he becomes insincere and he starts hanging out with those who say you must be circumcised. And the Apostle Paul has to rebuke him. He has to address him. He hey man, this is not the gospel. This is not what we preach. And he has to repent. But the good news is he does this time. He doesn't wallow in his failure. He says, you're right. And I repent. And I turn back to follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, But Peter gives me hope because I fail a lot along the way. And the truth is, Jesus is not looking for people who are going to walk perfectly before him. He's looking for people who will walk faithfully before him. And if they do fail, they're quick to repent and turn back to him and get on with faithful following. That's what he wants to do. But he also, Jesus is also outlining the cost. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, there is a cost. And this is what he says when he says, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to a place you do not want to go. We know by church history that 
Simon Peter will give up his life. And church history or church tradition says he was crucified, but he felt himself unworthy to be crucified like his Lord, so he had himself crucified upside down. But he would never again deny the risen Christ. Never again, because he saw him. And maybe you feel like Peter. Maybe you feel like, man, I've gone too far. I've blown it. And here's what I want you to hear today. <laughs> Listen to this. Failure is an event. It's not a person. Failure is an event. It's not a person. And the living Christ wants to redeem you and take you even in your failures and use you for His glory. Don't get stuck in I've blown it. Don't get stuck in I've gone too far. Don't get stuck in God can't use me because you're denigrating what the power of Christ can do in you, the resurrected Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is hope for those who have failed. I'm a witness to that because I've failed a lot. But he says, Nathan, if you fail, you can confess your sin. Know that I am faithful to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness because of what I have done on the cross and what I've done rising from the dead. Maybe that's you today and you need to respond to that. He's beckoning you. Don't get caught up in your failure. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's hope for all of us that there's something beyond this life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is hope for those who are broken. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is hope for those who have failed. He can do imaginably all above more than we can ask or imagine because He is the risen Lord. And that's who we follow. That's who we put our faith in. And that's who we celebrate. I want to say to you, I don't know where all of you are at spiritually today, but if that's something you want to respond to, myself, some of our elders who are wearing this yellow name tag, we're going to be around this sanctuary, and we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you take that step. Whether that is coming to Jesus in your brokenness, or coming to Jesus even in your failure to get restored, or even if it's just, I need to put faith in Jesus for the first time. To put my faith in the one who is the resurrection and the life. We're going to be talking about this next week too. We're going to be talking about the diary of two doubters. But today, today on this Resurrection Sunday, maybe you want to respond to Him and allow Him to change your life and to change it forever. So let me pray, and then I'm going to invite Bobby and the worship team to come up and lead us in prayer. So Lord Jesus, again, we thank You that You have risen from the dead. You have paid sin's penalty. And it is You, 
Jesus Christ, the hope of glory that's within us that brings the change and you want to meet us with your resurrection power. So if there's somebody today who needs to respond to you, would you give them grace to say yes? Would you give them grace to approach one of the elders or even in their own heart to say, Jesus, come take control of my life. I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. And come with your resurrection power and transform me into a man, into a woman who is used for your glory that I might have joy and life in you. So Lord Jesus, we say thank you for your resurrection. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.